0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our first of many bonus episodes we'll be doing throughout uh, this week and the coming weeks. Uh, Because we're going to have kind of a congested schedule with both the trade deadline coming up as well as uh, the all-star weekend, I thought it would be good to uh, utilize this time uh, and make best use of our time, uh, especially since we'll be missing a few days of shows uh, in a couple of weeks to try and get a little bit caught up to where I hoped we'd be with our franchise focus portion of the podcast kind of schedule and planning. Um, the the goal with this is to spend a little bit of time focusing on each individual franchise throughout the season, um, because often we find ourselves focusing on the more competitive or maybe the most competitive teams, the teams with the best players, the teams that we think are going to be in the contention for the championship. And sometimes that kind of limits us to about half the league um, as, you know, getting most, most of the attention. And there are teams that are younger teams that are rebuilding perhaps, or, Teams that are just struggling that kind of tend to lose, uh, get lost in the shuffle and we don't get a chance to talk about them in greater detail. So that's the focus with this franchise focus uh, segment of the show. When this is the first of those bonus episodes, all of these bonus episodes will be uh, isolated franchise focus segments. For today's episode, uh, our bonus episode, we're focusing on the Atlanta Hawks, of course, a team that has had a little bit of a, a movement in its history. Their most recent and solidified uh, position is the Atlanta Hawks, since they've been the Atlanta Hawks since 1968. Um, so just about, let's see, 55 years or so. Uh, so they've been the Atlanta Hawks most of their lifetime. Before that, they were the St. Louis Hawks from 68 to uh, 55. They were the Milwaukee Hawks for uh, a period of a few years. And then prior to that, their first two seasons of existence in uh, from 1949 to 1951, they were the Tri-Cities Blackhawks. So they've moved around a bit. Uh, You know, they've had a very storied history. They've had a lot of legends play for their franchise. Um, So let's just dive in firstly talking about the current Hawks, what the outlook is like, what they've been doing over the last few seasons, where we see them uh, in kind of the grander NBA picture um and similarly in some uh, senses to what we've seen uh with teams like the bucks the um the bucks for for sure the cavaliers uh, the bulls a little bit as well uh, the hawks are a team that uh 5 or 6 years ago were one of the lower teams they had kind of uh fallen off from their playoff contending ways you know we forget that from 2007 through 2017 a period of 10 years the hawks were in the playoffs uh for 10 straight seasons they were they even made it at the conference finals in 2015 their best one of their best regular seasons in their franchise's history a season in which they won 60 games lost only 22 in fact that's uh their best uh let's see yeah their best winning percentage and greatest win total in their franchise history uh so we forget they had that great run of you know uh consistent winning Al Horford was there throughout all of those seasons they had Josh Smith Paul Millsap players like that uh to really fill the void after a uh conference final or excuse me uh uh the 2018 season in which the Hawks failed to make the playoffs for the first time in 10 years uh Budenholzer Mike Budenholzer had been longtime coach a coach of the year winner in Atlanta he um I can't remember if he was fired or he just simply decided to move on uh, from the Hawks. I'm guessing the Hawks probably decided it was time to turn the page uh, and therefore let him go. Um, let me double check that before I speak. Uh, yes, he was fired in 2018. Uh, of course, he's gone on to coach in Milwaukee with the Bucs and he's won a championship there. You know, there was never really a doubt of him being a good coach. It was just you know time for the Hawks to kind of start fresh, and that was the 2018 season. They Uh, they add John Collins, they add Trey Young. Was it that very off season that they drafted those guys? Um, Yeah, so after 2018, um, 2017, 2018 season, they had John Collins as a rookie that season, that last season with Budenholzer. But then the very next season, they uh, had rookie Trey Young, they had second year John Collins, uh, and that became kind of the nucleus for this building uh, Hawks squad And, you know, it's been a consistent build. They, uh, won 29 games and lost 53 in that 2019 season. Uh, they were actually a touch worse in the 2020 season, uh, midway through the 2021 season, they fired Lloyd Pierce and brought in Nate McMillan as an interim coach. And that's where the Hawks really sparked kind of that, uh, the new success that they've been able to have as far as being a more competitive team in the Eastern Conference, uh, they finished that 2021 season an abbreviated season, which teams only played 72 games. They finished with the record of 41 and 31. Uh, McMillan finished out with an individual coaching record of 27 and 11. Great run there. They had also made, I think it was a trade that very season to bring in Clint Capella from the Houston Rockets. Um, Let me double check. No, I think it was the year prior actually. Um, Midway through the year, Houston traded him. He had been injured, so he didn't play the remainder of that season. Uh, But he made his debut the following season with Atlanta. And uh, he was a big part of their success that season. They make it all the way to the conference finals, kind of a Cinderella run for that 2021 team. Trey Young really broke out as a, uh, you know, I mean, he was an all-star the year prior. No, he was a a rising star uh, the year prior, I believe. Let me double-check this. Um, no he was an all-star the year prior he was not an all-star in 2021 interestingly enough um they had trey young at point guard clint capella uh kevin herter was a shooting guard i mean much of the same current team uh they've moved a fr- around a few pieces uh, but they go all the way to the conference final in the first round they had that great series against new york and he kind of made himself trey young made himself a villain in new york in the garden um they beat the sixers uh Infamously known as Ben Simmons last series with Philly in the playoffs. and then they uh, were fairly competitive in that conference finals against Milwaukee. We knew that that was not going to be a team they could beat. Milwaukee ended up to going on to win the championship. Um, but an exciting run, you know brought on a lot of you know exciting possibilities as far as what Atlanta could do in the future. Last season, they were solid. They were 43-39, and maybe a little bit of a letdown from what you'd expect, uh, losing in the first round to the uh, Miami Heat. And then this season, they're kind of maybe taking a further step back, and that's where we get into kind of the questions of where Atlanta's at right now. At this point in the season, they are 27-27. and Uh, That is not counting tonight's game, and I think they did lose tonight versus, um, uh, let's see, Regardless, at the point I'm recording this, they're sorry, no, they're 27 and 28, so they've just dipped below 500. Um, and the last couple of weeks, they've been just kind of floundering in that 500 area. Um, and so that I guess begs the question of what does this Hawks team, what is the outlook? And you know, because they brought in uh DeJounte Murray, they made a nice. He was a trade acquisition, right? I know he was brought in just this last offseason. It was a trade, um, and that was also Jock Landell went to the Hawks as well. Hawks give up Danilo Gallinari, who has not played yet this season regardless. He had an injury in the offseason. And a smattering of picks. looks like four draft picks. So that's something that will certainly impact them going forward. Um, But DeJounte Murray has certainly delivered in Atlanta. He's had a great year, Um, 21 points, six assists, and five boards along with one and a half steals, his average on the season so far. Um, Trey Young still playing well, 27 points, 10 assists per game on some pretty solid percentages. The although these are lower than maybe what we'd expect. DeJounte Murray is actually shooting better overall from the floor than Trey Young is something you maybe wouldn't expect, especially with the start that DeJounte Murray had to his career. You know, that's a great backcourt and DeJounte Murray takes the tough defensive assignment. Uh, Trey Young will be more of your offensive scorer and distributor, but both guys can uh, work the ball. Uh, Trey Young, you know, kind of the emotional leader of those two, but you know, DeJounte Murray can do that same thing. I I think both guys can play well off the ball as well as with the ball in their hands. So it's a very interesting backcourt. It's kind of unique. Uh two guys, you know, I didn't think of DeJounte as a as a two guard or playing alongside a point guard, but it's worked out well so far for them. I think the the questions for Atlanta come with um getting that, you know, a piece that's going to really elevate them to being more than just a competitive, decent team or decent to good team in the Eastern Conference. You know, DeAndre Hunter's a, a solid, serviceable starting small forward. He's averaging 16 points a game, four boards, and an assist. Um, good percentages. He's a nice, you know, plug-and-play guy, but you know, I they're probably going to need more to you know, add some some offensive, you know, scoring touch. I mean, Hunter can put the ball in the basket, but he's not necessarily a scorer. Again, he fits a team game, which is good for him. You know, John Collins is probably the biggest question mark for this team, and he's regressed this season. Um, he had a great start to his career. Obviously, he was an all-rookie guy, 10.7 boards. And the next year, he elevates that a lot further, 19 and 10, uh, 21 and 10 the following year. And since then, he's been kind of steadily declining uh, from 21 to this season. I mean, in 2021, it was 17.7 boards. This season, it's 13.7 boards. The rebounding is stationary. The defense is maybe a little better, but the percentages are down. He's shooting only 25% from three on the same amount of attempts. Um, free throws about the same. So just his, his shooting ability from three is down. He's not as... Aggressive maybe offensively, and he's not shooting as well in general. So Collins has taken a step back. Clint Capella's been solid, but he has missed some time with injury. Uh, you know, 12 points, just about 11 and a half, 12 boards, and a block per game. You know, he's a good center for kind of the modern NBA. You don't need a uh ultra lockdown defensive center, it's nice, but you need a guy who's gonna, you know, fill the paint, be solid, get the boards. Uh he's a good fit there. And they have Okongu as well, who's filled that starting role very well. Maybe even he can supplant Clint, Clint Capella within the next year or two and uh you know kind of take that spot from him. He's averaging similar-ish numbers uh you know in just he's he's not quite there. I mean just maybe a minute less per game and he's averaging nine points and seven boards. But again, he's very young. He's, uh, I want to say he's probably 20, uh, or 19. I mean, no, he's 22. Okay. So he's a little bit older, but he's still very young. Um, so he's, you know, I think he probably replaces Clint Capella, uh, sooner or later. You have Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's been a nice, you know, six man role. Fits that, well, they need something in that front court. And again, Collins, we thought he'd be that guy. He's regressed now. Can he reemerge? Is he a trade piece at the trade deadline? Uh, You know, that's something to keep an eye out for. They have AJ Griffin, who's a nice little rookie guard. I like him as a, you know, a bench piece along with, along with Bogdanovich. I feel like those two as your bench wing guys, you have Young and Murray as your backcourt and you have Okungu as their eventual starting center. Those pieces I like, you know, you lock that in place. Uh, and then you have any number of, you know, reserve guys, Jalen Johnson, maybe, maybe he gets a bigger role as a reserve uh, four or five. Um, but I think you've got to find something that gives them a little more in that forward spot, either a small forward or a power forward, probably a power forward, Um Again, because Hunter's just a little more solid, reliable, steady, fits that spot. You replace Collins with an upgrade, uh, whatever that may be. And then you keep those bench pieces and that's solid. And I guess the coaching thing would be another question, which I feel weird saying that. And I feel like um, the Hawks are pretty lucky. They've got Nate McMillan, who's been a solid coach in this league for a long time. You know, he was the head coach in Seattle. Uh, their last time they were in the playoffs before the franchise eventually moved to Oklahoma city in 2005 with Seattle, they won 52 games, you know, they won a playoff series. They battled against the Spurs as well. Then he was the head coach in Portland uh, during that Brandon Roy era where they were really good and they made the playoffs multiple years Um, head coach Mm -hmm. in Indiana for a couple of years where they were, you know, in the playoffs, the tail end of the Paul George era, the Victor Oladipo years, they were good then. And then he's been good with Atlanta, you know, and his career playoff record doesn't look ultra stellar because his teams haven't had the chance to go deep. You know, he doesn't always have the the most talented team, but his career winning percentage in the regular season is 53 uh, or 533 rather. You know, you take out those handful of losing seasons and he's well above 500. Maybe he's even 600 for his career. Uh, multiple time coach of the month. Uh, he's been in the coach of the year voting several years. And he's a solid coach. Is he that coach that is always just really good? Is he like what you would think of with the NFL with like a Marty Schottenheimer, who's always going to, you know, give you wins in the regular season, but then struggles in the playoffs? I'm sure I could think of an NBA uh you know, comparable or comparable coach I can off the top of my head. For some reason I went NFL first. But you know what I mean? He's uh he's a good coach. He get you know is gonna allow your team to be a winning team and get into the playoffs more often than not. Um, is he that coach that's gonna elevate the team, you know, a Greg Popovich type, a um, you know, we've seen what Steve Kerr has been able to do, you know, takes that team to the next level and really allows them to be an elite team. I guess that's the question, but he also needs the right pieces and he's got a lot of good pieces. I'm not sure he has the hundred percent correct pieces. So I've gone on a little bit about the Hawks in general. I think that's kind of where they're at. They've got a, you know, a lot of great pieces young and Murray are, you know, a great fit together. I think that was a great move in the off season. Um, Okungu coming along great. AJ Griffin's been an interesting rookie. I like his fit off the bench. Um, you know, Jalen Johnson's a nice little piece. Bogdan Bogdanovich. And that's, again, it's all a pretty young group. You know, no one, too, not a, a ton of guys that are going to be getting too old too soon. And I think if they can find that forward fit, you know, maybe John Collins, it's an improvement there. Maybe he's moves on for someone who's going to fill that spot. Maybe you add someone who will take the Andre Hunter spot, or you just solidify the, the bench depth. Um, that would be my question for Atlanta going forward. And then with McMillan, can he work with a team, you know, because it's got to be GMs and front office first, as far as filling out the team the right way. You know, I think that's the emphasis And then if they can do that, then that next step, that kind of add-on question is, okay, once they have that core, can Nate McMillan be the guy to elevate that team to a true Eastern Conference contender? Um, But I think if you're an Atlanta fan, if you're talking about, you know, these last few years, their trajectory and the way that their outlook is, you know, they're eighth in the East right now, or eighth or ninth, they're somewhere in that mix. I'm not too worried. You know, and maybe the season as a whole is a letdown from where you thought they could be. That's fair. You know, I'd be a little bit, maybe a touch disappointed in that. But as far as your team's outlook, you've got young guys, you've got all star talent, and you've got, you know, a front office that's been very good about building this team. You've got a good coach. I feel good about this trajectory. And I think. It's more likely than not that within the next five years, the Hawks are one of the best teams still in the Eastern Conference or they take that next step to be in that top four or five group in the East. Um, Again, that's more likely than not. There's still some uncertainty. Like I said, the roster, I think they need to, you know, tweak and still build that up. There's, you know, some final touches need to happen. Maybe Trey Young himself even takes a, a further step forward. Um, but they're in a good place. So I think Atlanta, you know, you've got a good outlook there, uh, for the squad there. Um, of course for all these teams, every team in the NBA, the outlook is to, to win a championship. And when you think of the Hawks, it feels like a team that's had, you know, star players and they've had good playoff teams, but they've never really been able to break through, but they have broken through a long time ago. Um, it wasn't in Atlanta. It was in St. Louis but they won an NBA championship in their franchise history. It was very early in their franchise history, but they won a championship. And not only did they win a championship, they won it against Bill Russell's Boston Celtics. They were the only team to beat Bill Russell's Celtics in the actual finals themselves. And the team we're talking about that did this, we're going to our historic team now to focus on the 1958. Uh, the 57 to 58 season the 1958 St. Louis Hawks uh, they won the NBA championship that year again against that Boston Celtics team Um, I'll start by saying the playoff structure was a bit different just something to keep in mind Um, in those days they only had uh, three rounds or they only had two rounds let me double check. See, now I'm talking about the playoff structure. Now I've got to go back and make sure I remember exactly because I've been doing a, an exercise where I'm kind of filling in some rosters, getting a bit of a, a more in, in depth understanding of kind of the history of the playoffs and things like that. Um, if we're going to go back to this era, um, this era, yes, it's a three round playoff. You have three teams from each, division they were called divisions at that point not quite conferences yet you have three teams from each division the first seed of both divisions got a first round bye so if you were the best team in your division you only had to play two rounds of the playoffs uh one of them a division final and one of them a uh the nba finals itself so this hawks team uh did take first place um in the Western division. So they were in technically at that point, what would have been the Western conference Um, that division semifinal, that two and three seed matchup was uh, a best of three series instead of a best of seven, like the rest of the playoffs was. Um, So regardless, they first played in that uh, conference final, which they got, uh, you know, that was their first round series because of their first round by their division finals was against the Detroit Pistons. Um, that Piston squad ha- actually had a losing record. It's it's kind of unique looking at these older playoff teams. There were so so many less teams in the NBA, and so some of these teams make the playoffs that are competitive in the playoffs with losing records. Um, you know, George Yardley and Dick McGuire are probably the names, Harry Galton, if you know any of these names, uh, from that uh, Piston squad. Yardley was, you know, really good for his era but um yeah, so they beat the pistons that first round so then they go to the finals as i mentioned against the celtics and everyone knows bill russell bob Cousy, bill Sharman, as well uh an nba pioneer tom H- heinzen frank ramsey i mean all these guys you see in the celtics rafters the numbers that were retired and so you know this was the team you're not going to beat the celtics but the hawks beat them in the finals four games to two. It wasn't even a seven-game sweated-out series. It was it was six games. It was a, a solid win for that Hawks team. And I I haven't even talked about the lineup itself. I hesitate because I don't know as much as I could about the, you know, depth pieces, you know, guys coming off the bench as, as I'd like to. But I know kind of the standout guys. It starts with Bob Pettit. And this is one of the guys, you know – the underrated players in NBA history. His resume is impressed is absolutely phenomenal. Eleven time All Star and eleven time All NBA player. Um, I believe he's tied with Kobe as far as most All Star Game MVPs. He had he won four All Star Game MVPs in his career. Um, if you if you didn't name it after Kobe, and I'm glad they named it after Kobe, but if you had to pick a second option, it would be the Bob Pettit All Star Game MVP award. Um, he was a two time regular season MVP. He was rookie of the year, um, uh, two times scoring champion and a one-time rebounding champion as well. Um, he's, he was named to the NBA's 75th anniversary team. He's in the hall of fame and you look at his numbers, they were just remarkable. His first season was actually when they were still in Milwaukee as the Milwaukee Hawks. And then the rest, they were in St. Louis, mainly a power forward. And his career averages 26.16 rebounds. One season, in the 1961 season, he averaged 20 rebounds a game. Um, And then the very next season, he averaged his highest scoring total. He averaged 31 points per game. Um, An underrated player. He only played um, 11 seasons, I believe. Yes, 11 seasons. Imagine if he played 15 or 16, how highly he would rank in the annals of nba uh you know lore and you know stats and records and things of that nature i mean he was an all-star every year that he played he retired after his you know he was 32 that's when he hung it up and uh you know just a remarkable player like a, a clear leader for them and he was this the original kind of stretch four, if you want to put it that way he certainly wasn't you know they didn't even have the idea of the three pointer at that point and he wasn't shooting quite that far out but he would he could face up outside of the paint hit your little close jumper maybe a mid-range jumper some bank shots so he could stretch the game and he was an innovator in that sense plus ultra physical on the rebounding side could battle with Bill Russell even there was even though they were slightly different positions and uh so that's your your main piece then you add uh ed mccauley in there as well he was a former boston celtic himself uh you know kind of the co-star or maybe even backup to bill russell at times in boston they trade him to St. actually he was traded in the piece that got bill russell to boston i believe let me double check that um yes traded with Cliff Hagen to the hawks for bill russell so ultimately celtics yeah they won that move but Hawks didn't end up too bad themselves by getting McCauley, a Hall of Fame center himself, multiple-time All Star. The numbers don't impress you looking at it today necessarily. He was a you know nineteen point nine rebound type of a guy, but especially you know a complimentary piece to a uh, uh, Bob Pettit. He was a very solid guy, you know, a former All Star in his own right, and a nice uh, you know you have a great front court presence there with those two then you add Cliff Hagan the other part of that trade and a, another hall of famer a uh, you know he's your you know secondary scorer alongside Bob Pettit <clears throat> excuse me he's going to average a bunch of rebounds himself you know so you've got three guys who are going to be solid in the in the paint with the boards he's a scorer he's a great outside shooter his percentages are very good for his era and so you've got a tremendous front court presence to battle against that likewise great front court of the celtics and the back court is not as good as you know koozie or uh even bill Sharman, but it, it's still solid you have slater martin at the point guard a veteran point guard a champion in his own right with the minneapolis lakers um multiple time all star multiple time all nba uh so he's a veteran guy who's going to run the floor uh you know run the show be the floor general they need uh and then you add jack mcmahon who's, uh, you know, played point guard early in his career himself, sliding in at the shooting guard for this Hawks team. Uh, An Iron Man in a sense, for those late 50s. Um, just a nice little support piece to fill in the gaps for all these other guys. And again, I won't try and talk too much about the the bench because I really don't know a lot of these guys. It looks like Chuck Share, their backup center, was uh, a very solid backup presence. I mean, 25 minutes a game and 10 boards per game, that's great alone. You know, that's going to get them what they need, I imagine. Um, And then, again, the other names, I really don't know. Jack Coleman, Wynn Wilfong, Med Park, Walt Davis. Um, But, you know, you get to the playoffs, Bob Pettit steps up, Cliff Hagan steps up with the scoring. Those two combine to average just about – 52 points per game total and 26 rebounds per game between them. Uh, again, Ed McCauley, uh, that Chuck Share I mentioned, they grab 11 boards of their own. They fill in some points. Slater Martin runs the show, as does Jack McMahon, and they win the championship. <clears throat> the coach was Alex Hannum, who was a – oh, I, I bet you he played. He was – when he was in his playing days, it would have been before the NBA even existed – Coach the Hawks to a championship. He would later be the coach for that Sixers team in 67 that would win the championship with Wilt Chamberlain coaching the ABA as well for the Oakland Oaks. I mentioned them last, uh, let's see on Tuesday's episode. Um, So he's a multiple time champion coach, multiple time coach of the year. Uh, So they have a great coach as well, running the show, great talent, great team. And it's gets kind of lost in the shuffle because it wasn't in Atlanta and it was a long time ago in their history, but they beat, Bill Russell Celtics, and they were a phenomenal team with a tremendous front court. And so hopefully I've done that team justice. I think it's worth highlighting, you know, some of these teams in the past I've kind of highlighted what ifs or teams that were just really good, but maybe not championship with the Hawks. We got to focus on the fact that they, they do win a championship and they've had tremendous teams in their history. This was, you know, maybe the best so far in their franchise history. Um, we mentioned Bill Russell, not, uh, not Bill Russell, but also we mentioned Bob Pettit. Um, One of the guys that he played with later in his career. And one of the guys who played in St. Louis for a good stretch uh, and was part of that inaugural Atlanta team is our player that we'll focus on with today's franchise focus. And that's Zelmo Beatty. Um, For me as a, a Utah guy, there's an element here that I'll focus on in a little bit. He was drafted in 1962, uh, third overall out of Prairie View A&M. He was a great college player. Uh, they won the NAIA championship there. Um, and in St. Louis, he was a consistent presence. You know, he missed some time with injuries. First of all, a, a constant, uh, you know, 20-10 and 10 threat, especially those – five years, two of which he made an all-star. Those five last years in uh, St. Louis slash slash Atlanta. Uh, He was an all-star in 66 and 68. Um, His best season in Atlanta, 20.7 points, or in St. Louis rather, 20.7 points and 13.6 rebounds along with an assist a game. We don't have numbers as far as steals and blocks. They did not track them at that point, but from what we've seen and what we know, he was also a solid defender inside. I imagine averaging at least a block or two per game, uh, maybe a couple, a steal or so. Um, he was also a very physical player. He averaged just about four personal fouls per game, which is nearly fouling out every single game. Um, you know, but it's also a credit to him because he was. Only six nine two twenty five, And especially if you think of some of the centers that he's battling in that time in the NBA, you know, mid sixties, he's battling against a still prime Wilt Chamberlain, a great Bill Russell. He's now having challenged Nate Thurmond and uh you know, when he'd moved to the ABA, we'll get to the ABA later on. He's also battling Artis Gilmore and Mel Daniels. And so he's facing off a lot of great centers, a lot of tremendous size among those centers. And at 6'9", 225, he competed with all of those guys and stood his own. He was, if not as good as them, maybe just a notch lower, you know, phenomenal player. Again, two-time all-star in St. Louis, uh, played that first season in Atlanta was, you know, maybe their star player there. He then, after the 1969 season, he moves on to the ABA uh, and he joins the Utah stars organization. He couldn't play that first season removed from Atlanta because of legal issues. Um, What would happen a lot of times if NBA players tried to jump to the ABA, they would get blocked in the, in the courtrooms by their franchise. They are leaving so that, you know, trying to retain their services, trying to prevent them from playing in the ABA in general. Um, But he was able to play in the ABA he plays that 71 season and uh, the next three seasons as well with the Utah stars. And in 71, his first year there in the ABA, he's, you know, 23 points, fifth, uh, nearly 16 boards. He's uh, a league leader in field goal percentage and the stars go on to win the NBA champ or the ABA championship, uh, against the Kentucky colonels. The stars were a consistent playoff threat in his years there, uh, He was an all-star those first three seasons, Uh, a tremendous player there. He uh, finishes up his career back in the NBA in the 75 season, uh, playing with the Lakers mainly as kind of a a backup center, Uh, still solid, but he was 35 at that point. He was kind of towards the tail end of his career. Um, Yeah, he, he led the NBA in personal fouls in two different seasons, tied in the league and disqualifications during the '64 season. So yeah, that kind of goes with that physical play uh, that comes from that. The Wikipedia page: his career high came against the Seattle SuperSonics. Uh, he had 42 points. Uh, that was December of 1967. Um, in the '69 playoffs, that was the first time the Hawks were in the playoffs. It, it, that was the first season in Atlanta. They made the postseason, and he averaged 22 and a half points. That was his highest playoffs average. Um, and you got to remember with these Hawks teams. Again, the Hawks have had consistently solid teams for much of their history. Uh, surprisingly, despite some rough teams, you know, in the the early two thousands and uh, maybe even the mid to late seventies. But from nineteen sixty three to nineteen seventy three, they made the playoffs every year. Uh, some of those years they had losing records, but some of those years they had really strong records. Uh, and you know, for Six of, uh, six out of eight years for an eight year stretch, they were in the divisional finals, which is the equivalent of the conference finals. You know, they were right in it and had multiple chances to make it to the NBA finals again during the sixties and maybe in, into the beginning of the seventies, but weren't able to do so for whatever reason. But Beatty was right in there and he was, you know, 64 onward, um, or 62 onward. He was on all of those teams up until 1969 that were, you know, constant threats in the playoffs. So that's another credit to what he was able to do. Um, again, I mentioned the Utah stars, of course, for me as uh, a Utah resident and a Utah sports fan, uh, that stars team has something special, even though I still am kind of learning about that team and what they were able to do. Um, it's certainly w- worth noting that as well in their championship in uh, Utah. Um By the end of his career, you know, he was hampered by injuries that he'd sustained. He'd had multiple surgeries. Um, He ended up coaching a little bit with the ABA's Virginia Squires, uh, their last season of existence. Um, And then, you know, went on to do just, uh, you know, kind of more uh, day-to-day type work. He worked in financial planning, apparently, as well as a substitute uh, PE teacher in uh, the Seattle area. Uh, Passed away uh, just about 10 years ago uh in uh in washington he was 73 years old uh you know had a family and i think he's just you know one of the underrated legends in nba history and aba history you know because of what he was able to do and go on and play in the aba win a championship there there's something still about the aba they don't always get the full credit they deserve when comparing him to the nba but also think about if he stays in atlanta and they add Pete Maravich, my favorite player of all time. Yeah, Pete Maravich with Zelmo Beatty, and they had some solid pieces around. It could have been a very interesting uh, Hawks team. You know, we don't know what would have happened for sure with that team. But um, regardless, just a very uh, a very great player all around, a solid inside presence, physical player, and a guy who matched up well with some of the greatest centers in NBA history. So definitely wanted to give him some, some credit and some props there. Um, with that being said, I think that takes care of our franchise focus for the Atlanta Hawks franchise. We want to thank you all again for listening. Uh, certainly be, stay tuned for the remaining of, um, you know, normal daily episodes, but also our continual bonus episodes throughout the next couple of weeks, uh, where we do these franchise focuses for a variety of franchises. Uh, again, we're going alphabetical by, um, mascot or, you know, however you want to call that. So we did the Hawks. So the next franchise focus will be the heat, the Miami heat. Uh, we'll focus on them, but again, thank you for listening and, uh, we'll be back with you soon.